BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, what's up? It's your boy, Joel Ortiz. And I want everybody to make sure that they subscribe and download the podcast, Library Rap, the hip-hop interviews with Tim Einenko. Yo, Tim, I hope all is well. You my guy. I know these interviews are not interviews. They're actually conversations, and I appreciate them all. Yeah, well. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ice-T. I want you to do something for me. Make sure you download and subscribe Library Rap, the hip-hop interviews. With Tim I and Cal. It is old fucking official. Alright? Stop playing. Download and subscribe. Library rap. The hip hop interviews with Tim I and Cal. It's cold. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's your boy Farrell March in the building. I need y'all to make sure you subscribe and download to the podcast Library Rap. Hip-hop interviews with your boy, Tim Einenkel. You already know. My next guest is an MC, producer, photographer, and artist. He's worked with the late great guru, DJ Premier, DJ Honda, and many more. He dropped his first album, Sunrises in the East, in 1994. He's Jayru the Damager, and I want to welcome him to the library with Tim Einekel on allhiphop.com. Jayru, thank you so much for joining me. Tim, thank you for having me, bro. Cool. So you once told the journalist Michael A. Gonzalez, quote, I used to go to the park with my aunt, and when I heard hip-hop for the first time, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Even when I was a shorty, I had a feeling I was going to be famous. So what was that album, or even that track that you you remember kind of hearing that spoke to you that said, all right, this is what I want to do. This is what I, how I want to I mean, do. well, you know, when I was a kid, the first time I, I've seen dudes rap and stuff, but the first thing I really ever really heard that was like, like significant was rapper's delight. Right. For me, because it's not like I could go to a party or, or, and, and you know, it was, and then it was stuff like super rhymes and super rhymes. I used to love super rhyme. Like that was my joint. Uh, it was so many records, like you know, the, I would hear the like the, uh, the tapes of the Treacherous Three and all of that because my aunt is like five years older than me, so nice. her friends were all that age, and some of them were like DJs. A couple of dudes, my man David, they moved from the Bronx to the block, so you know they was in the know. They they the first ones I ever seen when they pulled out the turntables like that the block party, and somebody grabbed the mic. I was like, oh yeah, this is what I want. But what, but what was happening at that time that you 
I mean, you felt that you could obviously make a career out of this, right? I mean, it wasn't just, I feel it wasn't just a passion, but it was also maybe a career. I trip. mean, I was, I was a kid, right? So I wasn't thinking about a career and not like that. <laughs> that's point. what I wanted to do. You know what I mean? It's like, that's just it. It, it just was a feeling. It was a feeling when I, when I was young, I always had a feeling. I know this about myself. I was born to perform. Mm. Whether and in any arena, I was born to perform. Whether whether it would be public speaking somewhere, whether it would be as an attorney, or I knew that I was meant to be in front of people and speak with people because I had that gift, and I still have that gift. I shouldn't say had, but I have that gift. Uh, you mentioned artists that you know we've obviously all heard of, uh, like you know Treasures Three, you know, and all those guys, but. You know, you're from you're from East New York, and mm-hmm. was there an artist kind of like you know how pe- comedian? There's a comedian's comedian, but was there like a, a, a kind of a rapper's rapper, an MC MC that maybe didn't blow up or didn't get on wax, but kind of had an influence on you and kind of helped shape your style, your your you know your wordplay? I mean, really, the, this the thing is, East New York had a lot of dope MCs. They had, uh, like I said, Super Ron, Fat Boy. Uh, so many different people. So those are really the people. I mean, it was a couple of dudes in my neighborhood who were dope, but the, I wanted to be like the fat boys, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> Sonic, like they all from East New York, you know, that was, they were like, yo, why? You know? What is it? I see. That's the thing. I mean, what is it about East New York that kind of, I kind of bred this uh, amazing group of talented people? It was dangerous. it was it was dangerous and you had to have hustle to to be able to get out of certain situations and maneuver it 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 bred uh maneuverability let's say and that's what mcn is right is being able to maneuver to to use your words that's why it's called rap Mm -hmm. because rapping just means to talk right? right so when we rapping we talking and you had to have that slick way about yourself in East New York because they just slick with those words. Uh, you know, you the story, obviously, everyone knows you you you, you met DJ Premier and the late Guru in high school. Uh, what was the? I was in high school. Guru was uh, already twenty seven, something like that, twenty eight. I met see, I met Guru through a friend of mine from high school, my man Shad, because his cousin Smitty was rolling with Guru because it was a lot of different uh, gang star incarnation, mm. right? Like DJ Premier and Guru weren't the first gang star. The first gang star was Big Suge and Guru. And then Big Suge went to jail. And then there was a lot of different other dudes. So I met Guru in that intro when, when be, right when him and Premier was getting ready to get together. Because my boy Tommy Hill, my man Gus, and my man Little Dot, they used to hang out with Guru all the time when he was on Wild Pitch. And, um, you know, it was they, people used to send in, like, a lot of boxes of tapes and stuff. And they was going through the boxes. They used to go to the boxes of tapes because they used to listen to the tapes. They used to want to, if it was whack, they would take the tape and dub over it, right? Because, you know, you had to have your, your Mr. Magics and, and all that. So, um, and on one of the tapes, they heard, they heard Premier. Mm. was on one of the tapes and they was like yo get rid of the mc but the dj man get him and that's how that happened 
when you met uh, those two, when you met Guru and Premier, did you, I mean, did you sense that they were going to have this kind of long lasting impact on not just music, but also the culture? I mean, we were kids, so it wasn't about none of that. It was just about being the dopest. Like, at that time, hip-hop was really young. So it was just about being the dopest, and I just knew that they were dope. And that was it. I just knew that they were dope, and they had dope music, and we was going to do dope things. Uh, in 1994, you dropped your debut album, The Sun Rises in the East, which was produced entirely by, by uh, Premiere. But then you look at 94 and you look at debut albums alone. You have Nas' Omatic, Ready to Die from Biggie, Outkast, Southern Playlistic, OC's Word Life, uh, Smith & Wesson's A Shining, Big L, you know, the name of a few. What is it about this 94 class that just bred, you know, greatness? Life is dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) Life was dangerous. And you had to, this is the thing. And this is the honest truth. See, nowadays, music, life is imitating art. Back then, art was imitating life. We were talking about what we were living. So it was the honesty. And that's what made it great. It was because it was honest. Even if a dude, when I say honest, I'm saying even if a dude wasn't the biggest gangster or whatever, he was hanging out with gangsters and he was hanging in the corner smoking and doing all the stuff that they talking about. And you could feel that. It was fresh. And another thing is, it was about the skill. It all was about the skill. It was about the truest part of being an MC. And the truest part of being an MC is, you can't burn me, I'll burn you. Mm. And that's it. That was it. And everybody wanted to burn everybody else because a lot of people don't know. When Nas did the Illmatic album, I was sitting in the studio for most of the song. It used to be me and him and Premier in D&D. Premier would go pick me up. We would go get Nas from Queensbridge. We would go to D&D. I would roll the blanche and Nas would write the rhymes and Premier would do the beat. Hmm. Just like that for most of the song. Even though dudes was mad cool with each other, it wasn't a bunch of collaborations and all that unless it was a special event that somebody outside put you guys together because everybody wanted to be the best. Like, yeah, you my man right now, but when it comes to the record, I'm going to burn you. You see what I'm saying? And that's how we, it was friendly competition, but it made us all get better because you would hear something. You'd be like, oh, oh man, El said that, or he said that. I got to say something iller than that. And and that's what did it. So was the sun rises in the east, was that, were you writing that or I guess creating that as you were in studio sessions or watching, you know, these? Nah, I was just smoking weed. <laughs> <laughs> I was just smoking weed. That's it. Like everything, like, I don't write rhymes until I get the beats hmm. to this day. That's just what it is. I don't really write rhymes. Like some dudes, they write rhymes all the time. When I was young, I used to write a lot of rhymes. But because you can't make a record if you don't have the beat first. How could, how could that fit together like, like a puzzle if, if some of the puzzle pieces are missing? Hmm. Uh, in 96, let's fast forward a little bit. You, you dropped Wrath of the Math. And, you know, I... On the album, there's the track One Day, which is a commentary on Puffy and Bad Boy Era. And mm-hmm. then you also have, uh, you know, you have Playing Yourself, which is mm-hmm. kind of using the same riff as Junior Mafia's Player's Anthem. You First verse is about Big E. Second verse, I think, is about... Well, Little- no, it's, I never said any... I never had a verse about Big E on none of my records. 
That's all a misconception. And even with the risk, Premier tell you that. Biggie was my man. Like, real talk. That was my man. And even when the whole thing went, I was mad at Puff <laughs> for something that was silly. Uh, right? Cause, but I was young. I was young from East New York. And uh, so, yeah, it was never it was never anything about Biggie at all. I was just talking about the game and, and what it was about, like what it was going to turn into. And if you look around, look what we have today. Everything that I was saying has come to pass. But, yeah, I was never directing anything to Biggie directly because that was my man. And, 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 I'll, and I'll say this to you, and this is why you know I'm real. I was saying dudes' names. Why I'm going to say the names and then not say your name? If I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you. That's just it. It was, it was never nothing else. If I, if I wanted to say something, I would say your name. Why, why do you think hip-hop, I mean, in that year, why do you think the hip-hop went in that direction? I mean, the, the bad boy direction in terms of what, do you think it was more because that's what the masses wanted or because you, do you think there was other players or other? Well, the masses mass is going to take what you feed them. That's, that's number one in most cases, right? It's like, have you ever seen that, that movie, Malcolm X, when Elijah Muhammad, he put the dirt in the water. Look, the radio could put out, that's why it's called programming. Right. Because they program you. If you hear something 10 times a day, you're going to like it, regardless of what it is. How many songs have you heard the first time you just didn't like it? But then by the 10th time, you're like, this is all right. You know, right. and by the 20th time, it's like, this is my joint. So it was all to me personally. It was it was a part of just the progression of the system to take over a, a powerful tool because hip hop was a very powerful tool. Right. It was a, it was a tool for revolution. It was a tool for for self enlightenment, upliftment. But then it became a weapon of mass destruction because now instead it's it's like the the, the black exploitation era. I, I like to compare that to hip hop a lot because it's like this. Uh, you have Melvin Van Peebles. He came out with the movie, the you know the uh, Sweetback Revenge or whatever. I forget the name of Sweetback Battles Revenge, whatever the name of the thing is. It did great. It it it, it had a message in it. It had all types of different things in it that was relevant to the black community. Now, once it blew up, nobody wanted to mess with him. He had to pretend like he was making a porno and, and take the funds to make that move. Right. But once it blew up and Hollywood got, they said, wow, this works. You can make money off it. What did they do? They took out the messages. They, they, they took out the social commentary. They left the pimps and the whores. And, and all that type stuff, and then you have black exploitation, and that's what happened to hip hop. Hip hop is just black exploitation part two, and that's what that was. You take out the message, you take out because even Ducey, and we not gonna act like every song was some raise your fist, black power type song, right. but every song had a every record had a song like that in it, no matter who you were. Even N.W.A. What they were talking about was revolution. What they were talking about was was raising up against the system. And that's what hip-hop was raising up against the system. You can't have that because you can't have a bunch of young black men owning their own records and doing all that stuff unless they just mad ignorant because then they just going to spend the money. They're not going to put it into the community. They're not going to do the things that you would do with it if you were an oppressed person and you're getting out of that situation. Right. You know, it turn, it, it, it's, like, it's like what happens to most revolutionaries when they turn into politicians. 
<laughs> you know. What about now? I mean, now you have, you know, hip hop is the number one genre, right? You have, you know, Jay Z, billionaire, you know, and Kanye. Hip hop is everything. Hip hop changed the whole world. What about in terms of uh, controlling the content? I mean, it seems like you. But that's you're... why they took out. That's why they took out the important message. Because imagine the same message of hip hop as global as it is today. You would have less oppression. You would have you would have less disrespect for certain people because those people were we would be in power, the ones who created it. You say you have Jay Z, you have all that, but then again you have Spotify who pays artists pennies on a dollar for their creation, just like you had the record companies that did the same thing. So people who don't create anything are getting paid off of it. And the people who 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 make it they get the least amount of benefit. Sure. <laughs> no, that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, so you have one or two, yeah, you got some billionaires and you got some dudes that's making money. I mean, you always going to have that. It's money out there. It's billions and billions. It's, it's over 7 billion people on the planet Earth. So of course we're going to have billionaires. That's, but how is that helping anything? How is that changing anything? It's not because all dudes talk about and this is not, and this is not to, to um, I'm not trying to get on nobody and I'm, cause this is the thing as well that you got to remember. And this is what I didn't realize when I was young. You don't owe anybody anything. Nobody has a responsibility. I'm not going to say, oh, well, this person is a billionaire, so they should be doing that. No, not at all. I'm just saying, just look at the environment that has been bred because of the way hip hop has been bastardized and that's what i that's what i should say i want to i want to turn to you know your music and you know and and of course talk about you know your first two albums were produced entirely by premiere Mm -hmm. uh and then and i don't know the answer is but uh then you seem to you seem to the third album wasn't and and i think a lot of our the fans were i I produced it because i was because i because listen let me tell you something who i am I'm going to always try to learn and expand and I'm going to take that opportunity every chance I get. You're not always, you're not always going to hit a home run, but I'm not safe. I'm never safe. I'm always going to do and push the limit. And, and it has paid off over time because I have learned, I've grown, I've learned what to do. I put my my record out independently myself in 1999. Dudes wasn't doing that. It wasn't even no. It wasn't even no computers and all that like that. So I learned a lot. You know, things change. People might say, "Oh, well, it wasn't this or it wasn't that." That's great, but somebody liked it because I got paid and 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 people bought the record, and I'm still here. What when you when you when you did the third album and you did you produced it your Tyler yourself? What lessons or kind of what did you learn from? working with Premier on these first two albums, not just as a producer, but also as yourself as an MC. I mean, what did you take into those third albums to the fourth album to the fifth album? Just try to make it as dope as possible. That's it. It wasn't no technical skills because we didn't. It was just try to make it as dope as possible. This is what I would do. First thing I did when I got my record deal, first thing I did when I got my record deal, I got two 1200s. I got a Gemini mixer some Servo Vegas speakers. I got me an MPC 3000 because I wanted to, I was trying to get the MPC 69, but they was like, we don't have that anymore. We got this new thing called the MPC 3000. It's 
fraudulent thing. I got that. I got a bunch of records, and I started learning how to DJ and learning how to produce. And that that's what I wanted to do. Because, I, you know, this is the thing about, about everything in life, for me personally. I always want to be able to take care of myself. Mm. I always want to be, if the whole industry shut down, if everything shut down, me right now, I could do my own records, I could do my own videos, everything, and be good. And that's what it's all about. It's about being self-sufficient. And, and speaking of uh, self-sufficient, you, you know, you recently did a live stream concert from home. Uh, mm-hmm. What was that experience like for you as an artist? And kind of how similar was it and different than the actual live show of going to a venue? Uh, well, it was different because the people weren't here. But other than that, <laughs> it was the same. And I mean, technology-wise, technology-wise is different because I had to learn the technology, right? But like I said, I'm self-sufficient. So, and, and you know, it's different. If you go live on Instagram or if you go live on some other platform, it's different than having the actual music hooked up so that you can hear it like it was at a concert, you know? So at the first one I did, it was a little shaky. Yeah, I was a little nervous, but then I did the second one and it was great because I, I, I understand the technology now and I, and yeah, it's something that, it forced me to grow. I think everything in life that you do should force you to grow. I mean, my understanding is that the the set list was made up entirely of fans' choices. Yes, um, I, yes, yes. Because I, I did too. The first one I, I did on myself, but this set list I did this time. I just took requests from all the fans. What was the most requested track? And then what was that track that you wanted people to request, but was worried that the they most had to... the most requested track was "Ain't the Devil Happy." It was it was three tracks that was requested the most. It was, and and this crazy thing is probably not the trash you would think. You would probably think, oh, come clean, plan yourself. No. It was Ain't the Devil Happy, 99.9%, and uh, One Day. Mm-hmm. Those are the top three requested tracks. What was the track that you, you kind of wanted to perform, but maybe was kind of worried that... Oh, no, every, listen, every single song was requested. Every song I ever did was requested. I just couldn't do them all. <laughs> <laughs> like it was crazy. I had I had over three hundred and fifty requests sent wow. to my email, and, and 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 I'm not even counting the ones that people requested on Instagram. Because if I take it to Instagram on, on my posts all together, I probably had over a thousand comments on the three or four posts that I did. Like at least two to three hundred comments on requests every post. I want to turn to uh, talk about the obviously we're in a pandemic now and this has mm-hmm. not obviously impact everyone in the world and you know include of course artists I as mean, well. It, it affects, yeah, shit. Um, <laughs> and and not just from like a, for artists, not just from the creative side, but also from the business side of things. Um, you know, obviously we have to they've canceled concerts or tours and stuff like that. Right. How do you think? Um, what do you think the lessons will be for an artist uh, to take away from this pandemic? Uh, not just from a creative side, but also from the business side of things. You have to be self-sufficient and and you have to realize you have to move into business in such a way where you transfer what you do from a, a gig based business into some other type of business where you making money, where it's not dependent on if you have to show up. You know, I learned that a long time ago uh, from Robert Greene. No, not Robert Greene. What's his other dude's name? Rich Dad, Poor Dad Dude. See, I'm giving secrets away. But um, 
excuse me, is that the best kind of income is that residual income, right? You have to create income that's making money even when you're not there. If you break your arm or you can't get out of bed or something like that. So, you know, you got to just think, think of hustles. Um, you know, the, the great thing about art is that the general public usually turns to it to escape crisis. Right. Uh, and that I imagine Hollywood up the great depression. And I, right. And I, and I imagine what artists, artists do it at the same thing. They, 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 they turn to their own art for th- therapeutic, uh, times as well. Uh, mm-hmm. so I guess my question to you is wh- why do you write? Do you write purely just for, th- I mean, do you write not just be artistic, but also for therapeutic as well? I love to create. That's just it. Everything I do is about creation. I'm in here waking up. You see, I got my drum machine. I write, I film, I edit, I I go, I shoot. But I do this on a daily basis, even when it's not a pandemic. That's what I do. I love to create. You know, that's who I am. I'm a creator. And one thing you're creative, you're working on your first full-length album in in 10 years. Uh, Right, right, right. why, Why the break between albums? Touring. I tour a lot. I tour more than most people. Like, a lot of people don't know that, but my tour schedule is constantly busy. If you look, like, man, it was a point I was doing 150, almost 200 shows a year. Mm. You know, it slowed down a little bit. Now I'm up to about, like, 90, 100, something like that. But I'm touring a lot. So, and then, you know, you just got to feel it. I, I I was I was having fun. I was tossing it up and getting back, <laughs> you know, smashing and all of that type of stuff. Like, you know, living a life of rally. But what? yeah, so I mean, I actually I actually already finished my album. Like my album is done, and uh, my man actually is mixing it now. And I actually did, like I said, two of the joints, but one and a half joints on uh, Tiny Death, as we spoke about earlier. So, you know, tell people to watch that if they want to see it. And I mean, it's, it's, I think, honestly, and this is very honest, not just from a creative level, but from a, a sonic level and all that, this is going to be one of my best albums, like, ever. And whoever says it's not is, is 100% frank. Hey, yo, check this out. This is DJ Evil D, you know what I'm saying? Representing Beat Miners, Black Moon, Rocksteady Crew. Man, Bootcamp, I got a lot of jobs, you know what I'm saying? But that, 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 that's enough of that, you know what I'm saying? But word up, let me tell y'all something right now. What you need to do is you need to make sure you subscribe and download the podcast Library Rap, the hip-hop interviews with Tim Einicle. Word up. Yo, you need to make that happen. Word up, you know what I'm saying? Because... This is this is this is hip hop right here. It's hip hop and podcast form, and it's very informative. Do what you gotta do. Word up. See who be in our mouth. We wanna see you in the ground. Steal your crown. Lay your woman down. That's right. The same ones you hung around. Yeah, I ain't even going school around. Be all Just make sure you get up off that ground. BP added more than seventy billion dollars to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.